Welcome to Window Gazing, the podcast where two TikTokers try to stay on the same subject for the entire podcast. Today, we are talking about anxiety, and um, we have so much to say about this that <laughs> we've been trying really hard not to say anything. Um, so, yeah, number one, I just want to intro my beautiful t-shirt that I'm wearing. I love this shirt because it has so many meanings to it. So um, it says we're all going to die. it it has a heart and inside the heart is the earth and when I saw this t-shirt I was like yeah we're all gonna die because the earth is dying and we're on it and then I was like oh but also um we are all gonna die we are no matter if the earth is dying or not and how are we gonna live our days and I was just like it just has so many meanings to it. It could be an incredibly hopeful t-shirt. It's It has a heart on it. But most of the time when I wear this shirt, people are like, um, feel like it's a bummer because I'm reminding them that we are all dying and we're probably dying faster because of climate change. Um, so I think that's what was meant by the t-shirt, but I have no idea. I think it's like a memento mori thing, right? Because like they underlined all. So it's like, we're all yeah. in this, we're all in this shitty, you know, mortal life, mortal coil together, right? So let's put aside our dumb. So that's how I always think of it. It's if you think of like the finality and universality of death, then stupid things like, you know, fights over this or that patch of land become a little, a little more trite. Yeah. Um, also, apologies to the listeners. I'm not in my normal space and my audio might be worse because I don't have my normal microphone. So we'll see. Um but yes, I wanted to talk about anxiety today. I It's funny, the way that I choose our episodes is I just look at what you're talking about for the week. And then I'm like, <laughs> what feels interesting to talk about uh, right. from what he seems to be interested in this week. And this week you're like, my life is stressful. And I was like, perfect. Um, let's talk about anxiety. So um, I suffer from a lot of anxiety. Uh, I know that you do as well. And um, we both spend a lot of time on our phones. Um, I don't know if that makes the anxiety worse. I don't know if it's a good distraction technique. Um, I was addicted to my phone before I was content creating. And now I have a whole other reason to be addicted to my phone because I'm always checking what's going on. What are people saying? Um, and I I have to be really conscious about, I don't know, just phone stuff because I can just spin into anxiety. Um, it probably would be helpful to sort of try to define anxiety. I try to do that at the beginning of our sort of oh, episode no, I have to think topics. About <laughs> so you have to think about it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I don't think anxiety is normal. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and distinguish it as an sort of abnormal thing that happens uh, when we are in constructed environments that we don't feel safe in. Uh, So right off the bat, I want to distinguish anxiety from pressure. Mm. Uh, Pressure and stress is normal. 
uh, in any life, in any life of any being on this earth. My favorite uh, definition of stress is just uh, there is tension on both sides of a rope. So anytime that we feel stress in our life, there is tension on two sides. One side of the tension is usually something that we think we need to do or something that we we uh, have to take action about. And the other side is uh, we don't want to do it or we have some conflict inside us. And if there are not two sides to an issue, there fundamentally is not stress. So mm. if if there is no tensile strength on the end of I don't want to do this or I don't feel prepared to do this or whatever that is, if on one side we go, oh, I can do this, then there is no stress. Mm -hmm. um, stress and pressure always are happening in the background. Anxiety is the endless feedback loop of worry, rumination, trying to figure something out. And it's an abnormal state, the way that I see it. It is a response to stress, but the normal response to stress when we're in a grounded environment, when we have um, support, is to be able to ground that stress into our support system or into our self-trust or into our um, own capabilities. And for whatever reason, we're getting caught in a feedback loop where we can't solve something and we can't trust ourselves or whatever that is. And so that's why I see anxiety as um, not really being a normal part of our experience, but being a more of a pathology. Yeah, I mean, I think I large, by and large agree. Um, I just find it's hard for me to nail down because there's so many different flavors of anxiety and not all my anxieties like operate the same way, right? So like right now I'm going through an ex and like very clear external cause caused anxiety. And, and that's like very familiar to me. That's like my home, that's like my friend anxiety because I'm so used to it and I know it really well. And that's the anxiety where something really shitty happens. And it's like a feedback loop, like you said. It's like it's like almost like a computer file when it's like looking for something that it can't find, and it just keeps looping over and over and over again. Yeah, and that's what it's like. And it and it will interrupt anything. Um, and you know we can look at all the physiological causes. Like I've read that it's like high beta waves or whatever it is, or or you know you're obviously your amygdala going going twenty four seven. I listened to an entire audio book about uh, cortisol. Uh, cortisol and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like why monkeys don't feel anxiety or something. Why like that. zebras don't get ulcers. Wonderful. Yeah, maybe book. that's what it was called. Yeah. Yes. Um, anyway. Um, and so, so yeah, so it's like, it's like, I try to go to sleep and I wake up at 3am and I can't go back to sleep. Uh, I try to nap. I can't nap. I eat less. I lose weight. I usually lose between five and 10 pounds. And then at some point, I guess it resolves. So there's that one anxiety, but then there was another anxiety. And by the way, that anxiety in my experience is like impervious to medication, right? Cause I'm, I'm on medication for anxiety right now. It doesn't matter because honestly, like if you hear, it doesn't matter what it, like a relative dies or like your life circumstances are changed. And especially in my family, cause I feel like this, there's also a genetic component here. Cause I come from a family of people who are very averse to transitions, whether uh, chosen transitions or forced transitions. So, um, so I feel like there's a genetic basis there. But then there's the other just general anxiety. And that's the anxiety I used to get really badly. And that was the anxiety where I, I didn't have a, a, a specific cause. You know, it would just be like I would wake up at 4 a.m. and feel that 
the world is not right and that things are bad. It's like very, very basic. Um, and that went on for months and months and months where I would wake up at four o'clock feeling this like very heavy sense of existential dread. And it would like color everything. And sometimes it would, even though there wasn't an external event that even being aware that that might come up again began to feed on itself as well. And that became really nasty. So I was able to medicate my way out of that more or less it sometimes comes back but but yeah the whole existential anxiety thing is like a whole other flavor of, of anxiety um and I, and like and then other people have other like you know what i mean and so they're all kind of connected and they're all i think they're all essentially a pathology i think you're right about that but it's interesting to me that like uh they don't always have the same root cause and they don't always operate um in a logical way and this is why and i think it's important to talk about i'm not just saying this for the sake of saying it i think it's important to talk about because uh the program of which we talk about treating anxiety tends to treat anxiety like it's one thing and it exists in one parameter um, or if it's not one thing it's reducible to one thing and i am skeptical that that's true and this is why i've struggled basically my entire adult life going back 20 years uh, to find something that I feel is an anchor in dealing with my my anxiety outside of Lexapro, which is great. <laughs> if there could be one problem with the medical system view of things, it would be that it treats things as if they are one thing, not mm -hmm. as if it is a whole body. And that's a problem. Um, and yeah. that's how we treat anxiety is oh, anxiety, let's just get rid of the anxiety, when really the cause of the anxiety is something absolutely different. And that's why I am so critical of um, medicating for mental health issues over the lifespan. I think that medication for mental health stuff is good in the acute phase of something, uh, I went through a life-changing depression when I was uh, 13 and I would have not made it out of that depression if I had not had like some help and it um, medications are wonderful be able to uh, let people function in their day-to-day -day lives uh, but it's not something that you know ideally you would need to take for your entire life like ideally we're figuring out root causes here um the where do i want to go with this it is well can i just say something before yeah. we i don't know that yeah. i agree with that i don't know that mm. i agree this is my my own personal experience uh because as you know and this is a bit controversial i am of the school that well, I don't, obviously, I don't think anxiety is cut or dried. I just said that. I don't think it's, but that also means that while I, I don't think um, external factors are entirely to blame. Like I said, there's a genetic mm. case in my family with the type of anxiety that I deal with. I also feel like there's some circumstances where, whereby we live in a world where certain things are imposed on us because of the current order. And those things create a condition in which we're, we, we feel anxious beyond anything that we can actually control, right? And so, you know, and I don't take a ton, like I actually take like, I only take like five milligrams a day or whatever. I'm not taking a ton, but I'm not ever gonna, like unless something in my life drastically changes or I have some sort of spiritual perspective on it, which is more than possible, I'm not gonna stop taking it. And I'm not gonna feel bad about it because um, 
after years of going through things like meditation practice and mindfulness practice and talk therapy, CBT, ACT, um, you know, trauma, parts work, whatever thing there is, you name it, I've thought about it and tried it. Giving up news, tried that. Giving up my phone, tried that. It just, there's, it just, your body will find something. And so in those circumstances, I feel like whether or not it's like the world we live in or whether or not it's a genetic thing, I feel like I, I am not going to apologize, nor am I going to feel any spiritually less as of a person because I've decided that I will take this medication as long as I can personally do it, you know? Yeah. Um, nobody should feel bad about taking anything. And I don't, and I go very far on that. I don't think anybody should feel bad about taking anything in order to function in their life. Um, I also hold sort of the belief system in my own life that all of these things are healable. And so maybe that's the difference between us where you're like, I carry something that I have no experience with healing. And I don't believe that it can, I don't believe that it can be healed. And I will tell you, I have not healed my anxiety either. And I don't know that I um, will ever heal it, but I'm damn sure going to try. And I'm damn sure not going to medicate it. Um, So maybe I will suffer more because I don't. Um, (laughs) But I'm like, we're going to figure this out. (laughs) No, I mean, I, 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 I was, I hate, I'm not going to play the older man card. That's like really gross. I'm not going to do that. But I did used to, like, I did think this way for a long time. And I did go through that route of like, and I have to say, this is why, and I've mentioned him so many times, I'm embarrassed. I've started to feel like my dad, where I was like, he mentions the same writers over and over again. But this is why when I read David Smale, who's this British psychologist that nobody knows about, except maybe like Mark Fisher or whatever. uh, When I read him, I felt super emotionally uh, engaged, like uh, to the point of almost being in tears because Mm. it was the first time it was like finally reading someone who got it. who was like, hey, you live in a very complex, socially interconnected world of which so much is beyond your control. And the idea that there is a psychological regimen that you can individualistically pursue that will alleviate the symptoms that are a direct cause of these very complicated, complex, multinational factors that are, again, are completely beyond your control is just selling, it's selling snake oil. Um, but the interesting thing is that he says that therapy is still a worthwhile pursuit, but only insofar as like the interpersonal friend relationship. And so in some weird way, the only thing that has come really come legitimately close to helping my anxiety is to talk to, to people about my anxiety. And I used to be a shrink that I did that with, but then it sort of became a, a friend of mine, a very, very close longtime friend of mine who I discovered later in life had gone through a lot of the same stuff with this that then I have to some degree even worse than me so um and that, even that is not a cure but it does speak to another part of me that allows me to feel a little more comfortable with the feeling because anxiety is terrible on its own but anxiety especially in our culture where anxiety is constantly spoken about as a pathology and a disease and an illness and something that needs to be treated it makes it very lonely to deal with. You know what I mean? It's like a lonely experience because when you live in a world where it seems like everyone, oh, there's a you can exercise or you just eat better or get better sleep or change your job or 
try this talk therapy or if that talk therapy, try Gestalt or, you know what I mean? So there's always this never ending chain of things that if you just try this next thing on the chain, you might cure your anxiety and talking with people actually suffer it and have gone through this thing and have tried those things and they don't work has been like the most uh, effective treatment for my anxiety, not any other other bullshit, you know? I totally agree. I don't think the individualistic method works for anxiety. I think one of the causes of anxiety is our fundamental isolation from other human beings. And I don't accept that. I don't accept that those are the only uh, fixes for it. And I am looking for other fixes that don't include individualistic healing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I completely agree with everything you have said. It's just, I, I'm going further than that. You know, like I'm looking for what's going to help it. Um, yeah. And part of that is like, I have no anchors in my life. I can, I can like ruin my life in many different ways. I can move wherever I want. I can like do weird stuff with money that you can't do because you have a family to take care of. Um, and isn't that the thing in life is like, we make commitments and we make, uh, you know, long-term structures in our life that we have to maintain sometimes at the expense of our personal well-being. Yeah. And that's just kind of the game. Um, I yeah. will let you know when I figure out um, how to help my anxiety. Um, I do think it's important to um, just talk about anxiety on the somatic level too. So um, one of the most imp like helpful ways of seeing anxiety for me was that it is literally just um, it exists on sort of this, um, I'm going to go ahead and call it axis. So if you want to think of like a quadrant, so like when you used to do like plotting graphs in math class, um, the X axis or the X axis and the Y axis. So the Y axis is uh, aroused or not aroused. So aroused or hypo aroused. And then the middle of the axis would be uh, not or like even keeled. And then on the uh, left to right side, so the X axis would be negative or positive. And uh, up there in the negative and aroused would be anxiety. And down in the uh, negative and hypo aroused would be depression. Right. On the top right would be excitement. So positive and aroused. And on the bottom right would be tranquility or calm relaxation yeah yeah i got yes. it i got it yeah so all right what when we're talking about anxiety we're talking about a negative state of like the emotional tone of anxiety is negative um and it also is an arousal state of the nervous system um and it's really tricky to try to talk about the ang the anxiety emotional state and the anxiety physical state, because they kind of go together. And I have asked somatic therapists, I've put it out to them and I've never gotten a clear answer. Is depression and anxiety an emotional state or is it not? And yeah. 
the best answer that I've gotten or my, my favorite answer that I've gotten is um, anxiety starts as an emotional state and then it continues as like a somatic continuous um, thing that the, the body kind of like um, is it's no longer an emotional state. It's more of a nervous system state in the long term and the same right. for depression. Um, and it's so important. Like, I can't tell you how many people don't understand anxiety and how like little anxiety is understood. I read this book called the language of emotions, um, by this fabulous, um, practitioner, Carla McLaren. And the book is so knowledgeable about emotions and she has no idea what to say about anxiety. I read her book about anxiety. I'm like, wow, she has no idea what this is. Um, <laughs> and I think part of the reason uh, that her view of anxiety doesn't work is because she sees every emotional state as having a job, right? Mm. Every emotion that we have is a messenger for something that needs to get done. It's a messenger about something we need, something we need to do, et cetera. Um, you could say that the emotional tone of anxiety is fear, right? Fear has an actual job. Uh, fear is doing something in our lives where anxiety is not. Um, yeah. anxiety is, is a, is a feedback loop. It's a, it's a computer program that's just running and running and running. It doesn't have a job. Um, depression is similar to that. So like we could talk about sadness, we could talk about grief, we could talk about, um, like pause, right. Um, the, the need within sadness is to make you slow down and pay attention to the thing that you need to grieve or you need to pay attention to. Um, depression has the similar like looping characteristic to it where it's like, Mm, this feels kind of useless, right? Um, and so because of that convoluted thing that I just said, um, I don't deal with anxiety as an emotional state so much. Um, maybe when it first comes up, it's fear, um, but it's fear that needs to be felt. And um, anytime that I'm working with someone one-on-one -on -one who has a lot of anxiety, I see it as an emotion that needs to be felt. Um, because it is fundamentally trying to solve something. Um, and I'm like, hmm, is that our job to solve this? Like, well, that's the thing, right? Like, um, it, it would be hard for me. Like, I don't even know if I could draw a roadmap for my current anxiety to like what, you know, what my, I'm trying to solve, you know, solve for. Like, I guess in some sense, it's like security and stability, but those are such, you know, ephemeral concepts and there's a, and it's not like there's ever a state even when I'm not feeling particularly anxious where I could say like I feel like secure you know what I mean so so that's really interesting and it's what's what I find interesting though about your sort of you don't know what emotion is sort of the trigger for you mentioned it could be fear but it's sort of uh, to me like the corollary is like kind of what uh talk therapists say because they say a very similar thing it's like they'll say anxiety is sparked by a thought, right? As opposed to an emotion, they'll say, you'll have some, you'll have some apocalyptic chain of thought about like, you know, my boss hates me, I'm gonna get fired, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run out of money, I'm gonna go bankrupt, blah, blah, blah. and then, and then, you, and then the somatic response develops and it's like a runaway train at that point. It doesn't matter what you think, you could have the lot. And again, I don't, I'm not saying that's an accurate model, but I'm saying that's like a very interesting, similar idea that like anxiety 
isn't sui generis, that there's something that causes it and then it's out of control. You know what I mean? I um, don't think that anxiety always has a cause. And you're really trying to speak to the amorphous transient nature of anxiety in this episode so far. And like, I want to really nail that on the head. Um, I believe that a lot of my anxiety has been given to me literally by my mother. Um, mm. My mom grew up in a in a traumatic household. Things were thrown at her. She was beaten. Um, terrible. I was inside that womb. When my mom was pregnant with me, it was a very stressful time for her. She had no support. Mm. Um, she was young. And I literally just feel that way. Um, I feel like there's always something going on that I have no control over. The bottom's always going to fall out. There is always a baseline of, well, clearly I'm not okay. What is it that's doing that? And I've spent my entire life trying to fix that. Um, I've chased it mostly in money um, because that's what our culture wants to tell us, like mainly makes us okay. Mm -hmm. money um yeah. but I was born into this feeling of like we are not safe never are um so yeah. I understand that transient anxiety too and I think like you said early on the brain tries to grab onto whatever it can and I think it's twofold it's trying to grab onto whatever it can to try to fix the situation. If I can just find an external cause, then I can I can find safety for myself. Um, but the the cause is inside, right? There's there is no external cause in that situation. Um, and then there's a second thing, which is that when you're a stressed out person, you're used to be in a stressed out state. You feel more comfortable and you feel more powerful in a stressed out state. And so you actually kind of look for things to perpetuate that state unconsciously. Um, when I'm having a bad day and I'm really stressed out about this one thing that happened, I will tend to hyper-focus on other shit that also drives me crazy. Um, why do I do that? It's this interesting perpetuating um, stress response. I feel comfortable yeah. there. Yeah, and I thought about that, right? Like, there's certain, like, things that happen uh, like I'm going through a very stressful work situation and as much as the anxiety has been frustrating to deal with um, you know I haven't slept I haven't slept in like five days more or less it, wow. it is amazing at uh, as you say it is amazing at focusing um, like I've I've written these emails and I've been in these meetings where I you know I, I'm, I try to be articulate I'm pretty sloppy sometimes but but where I'm just like laser focused on exactly what I need to say and communicating it with crystal clarity. And I know that that state is fueled by this like churning engine of like cortisol and like, you know, fight mm. or flight. And so I like, and, and I know there's this like approach to anxiety. You've heard this before. It's like, well, you should make friends with your anxiety. Your anxiety is trying to help you. And to some degree, I absolutely agree with that. Right. Like, you know, we're, we're threatened with like, a hurricane up here in, in Nova Scotia at the moment. And so like, there's like a low level anxiety that like just is useful for thinking through like, what are the things that I need? Uh, how do we prepare for this? So I think there are some like very practical, but it's still like, you know, whenever I, th I just think the, the mental image of like make friends with your anxiety, it's trying to help you. It's like, well, it can help me in other ways that don't involve like making my life a living fucking hell. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> I um, I have to say befriending anxiety as a concept has never worked for me. I befriending other things. Befriending other things has worked great. Befriending yeah. um the child that was abandoned that felt so sad about how she was treated, um befriending the um the grief and the anger, all of those very legitimate emotions have helped befriending a computer program that is running in circles has not helped me. Yeah. Um, that's why I don't respect anxiety as an emotion in itself. I think it is um, literally a pathological process. Uh, and underneath it are legitimate causes, um, legitimate causes that I carry from generations ago. And they were not worked out by the past generations and now I carry them and I'm working on them. I believe that I can diffuse them and I, I won't be having kids, so they probably won't get passed on anyway. Um, yeah. But I believe in resolving as much as we can. Like um, the work of my life is to work on myself as much as possible. I've devoted myself to myself for my life. Um, That's good. I am increasingly comfortable um, and I really don't think the solution is in the individual processes. I think most of our anxiety is caused by the environment that we're in. And I don't know. I learned that because when I go camping, um, and I hadn't been camping in my entire adult life, but I went camping last year. When I go camping, I don't experience the same anxiety and adrenal fatigue and all the problems like really most of my health problems go away when I am camping for a few days and I'm like okay what is it different about camping that makes me okay I have people around to talk to I sleep really well I don't have a defined time that I need to wake up there are no responsibilities on me and so obviously you know it makes sense um and you know, I hate to bring up the purity argument of, oh, if we were just in a natural environment, because I think that that has a lot of problems. I think that we can live in a human constructed environment and be happy, but we have to have a very different setup of things. Um, See, it's funny what you describe is what I feel, but it doesn't have to be camping because what you're describing is how I feel whenever I'm in like a, uh, like I'm out of my a home you know what I mean if I'm on vacation if I'm in an yeah, how was your trip to I, Toronto how was your anxiety um, during that uh it was fine totally fine really bad leading up to it I will be 100% honest because again I have this weird anxiety around transitions and it depends like sometimes a lot of the time I'll travel somewhere like I went to Quebec to visit my mom and like that was fine no problems, no issues there, even though the trek itself was kind of more arduous because it was like a 10 day or a 10 day, 10 hour trek where we had to make the ferry at this particular time to get across the St. Lawrence. So there's a lot, but I didn't have the same travel anxiety, but for whatever reason, going to Toronto, I felt super, super anxious and it was totally fine. But I was, when I was in Toronto, crucially, I felt the same way that you described when you were camping. It was just like, this is a great environment. I'm surrounded by friends. I'm in the city that I love all these. And so I wonder, it's like, it's almost like, this is getting into the real weeds now, but like there's almost something when you are in your home element um, where these gremlins kind of sneak in. And it's almost like, mm. it's almost like 
how do I say this? It's like, if we think the world is realer than it actually kind of is, it's a really weird thing to say. Yeah, but the I world feel feels like, very real at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. that reality really matters. That consequences matter. Yeah. That it matters if you're overdrawn in your bank account and it matters if like, you know, you're in a fight with your partner. You know what I mean? Like those things. Yeah. And so when we're in our home state, we're like, we're like, life is real. We're not all going to die. You know what I mean? We're all, we're like, we're this, this is really important. Like, and I feel like that's when, that's when you can get really, really acute. And that was happening. Like when I was in Toronto and I'd lived in my house there for years and years and years, and I had this great job and my kids were doing really well. And I would still wake up and I would no rhyme or reason. I would wake up with this feeling of like, I don't know if you watch Star Trek, the next generation, this is always the analogy I use for my existential dread, but there's a very famous episode in which Guinan, do you know, do you know that show? Do you ever watched TNG? Star Trek I next have generation? been, um, forced into <laughs> watching around 20 episodes yeah that's probably enough that's probably Star enough. Trek yeah. many different seasons so yeah okay so this is one so Guinan is like this wise bartender played by Whoopi Goldberg who's in like 10-4 okay, which yes. is like the bar okay she was in the 90s I remember yeah in the 90s now she's a really cool character in that she's basically like kind of immortal and has lived in all these different eras but she's also is Yes, he's a sage, which is a bit of like the, you know, black wise person uh, trope, which is, yeah. uh, what do they call it? I can't remember the name of that trope, but uh, anyway. Yeah, there is a um, a racist, yeah, connotation of that. I can't remember. It has an, a name. Yeah. Yeah, it's like wise old man thing. Anyway, yeah. uh, but in this, so what happens is the, uni- um, this, the Enterprise travels through this time rift and suddenly they change dimensions and they're in this alternate timeline where you know the federation is at war with the klingons and it's all militaristic and guinan there's a scene where guinan uh is on is in ted ford is like this isn't right this is not supposed to be like this and that's what my anxiety feels like i wake up at 4 a.m and it's this very strong feeling of like this isn't right this isn't right it's not supposed to be like this you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and and, and i'm not talking in terms of like you're on the wrong life path or like you know it's just it's just a very vivid feeling of like this is all wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not, I can't give it any justice. Um, no, I know exactly. I know exactly the feeling that you're speaking to. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Like life is realer at yeah. home. It's more solid. It's more serious. There's more consequences. Um, I would hold, and I've done a lot of spiritual practice and like, I have a lot of out there beliefs, but um, I would hold that life, isn't that serious and that um I don't think that's that's uh that's not that's not fringe that's pretty good (laughs) I think I think that it feels more solid in certain places so that we can learn really defined lessons because I ultimately think that all of this is a spiritual journey and we are literally learning lessons so in the places that life feels more serious and more solid and more consequential there is a defined lesson that's being learned um, about limitation, about planning, about like just crappy things that nobody wants to learn, but we're like learning it. Um, Mm. But ultimately life is lighter, life is less consequential. Um, I don't think it hurts to die. Like I think that we're kind of, I've been seeing this image so often lately 
of just like a net, just like a nice net. And it feels like what people fall on when they're like, you see the, when they're doing acrobatics, you know, like they, they're really nice. It seems, feels like a cradle kind of. And I see like basically all of our consequences leading to, yeah, eventually we're just like held anyway. And the fact that we think we're not, that's what makes us really learn the lesson. Um, and that's really helpful for me. Uh, when I feel my anxiety when it comes up and it has no cause, my um, assessment of that is, oh, I'm still holding some anxiety that needs to be diffused. I don't necessarily have a reason for it. And so I don't have this fundamental frustration with it because I'm just like, oh, yes, I'm experiencing something that I've been carrying maybe my entire life, maybe something that happened to me when I was 10 years old. I'm still carrying it, need to offload that, need to find ways of grounding it, of releasing it so that I'm not carrying it. Um, and that's been the case with all of my trauma. Um, some days it does not want to be offloaded, um, but I just see it as like an energy. It's something that I hold. It weighs me down. It's impacts my life negatively. And it literally is just coming up as a messenger to be like, yeah, you have more work to do here. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's just been given to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like, on the unreality question, I was just thinking about that. And it, it just, uh, it reminds, cause you mentioned like, we're here to learn lessons and you know, you know, you know, me, I'm obsessed with NDEs and NDE narratives. I just find they're really mm -hmm. fascinating because they, they, align in these very interesting ways and so mm -hmm. one of the big thing about NDEs and not even about what people experience in them necessarily but the actual feeling of being an NDE is this idea NDEs that, you know, NDEs everybody near death experience okay. yeah sorry I, I always make that mistake because I'm my head's too far down that rabbit hole I guess Anyways, near-death experiences and experiencers, they often come back and they say their near-death experience was more real and vivid mm. and felt like a real it's, and when they came it's so real in fact that when they come back here they feel like this is kind of a joke like life is kind of like a and not even in a in a, a pejorative sense but in just like a, a levity sense like that it's not that that people take their lives too seriously and I, it's really funny like because whenever people talk about deities or buddhas or gods in the after in, in in their ndes they're always like laughing at them there's constant laughing which i find really interesting um so I find, I also find that idea comforting, right? That like really your anxiety is like your consciousness over uh, indulging itself in the supposed reality of our external world and its consequences. But to me, that's just an abstract thought, right? It's a comforting one, but it doesn't, it doesn't like, and maybe this is what I want to talk about a bit is like part of the things that I'm most comforted with are methods to deal with an anxiety that are just like just like you you can't you know what I mean and that's not the same thing as befriending it but just like to be like this is this is it this is the shit that you are going to mm -hmm. eat while you're on planet earth and that's what it is mm -hmm. like we haven't talked about um well we haven't even talked about buddhism or anything yet which we we could because we were talking about reality and believing in the illusion and that's a bit, bit what buddhism tries to strive against but one thing I find really interesting is um is, is the stoic take on, on anxiety. And I know I get really nervous when I talk about stoicism because people suddenly think about Jim bros and like Tim Ferriss and like startup companies yes. and all this uh, aggressive macho individualist shit. Yes. But it's really a shame because there's actually quite a uh, social communal, wonderful aspect to stoic practice. 
And also, like, the, the, the problem with modern Stoicism is that people treat Stoic writers a bit like biblical writers, like, that mm. we, can't, we, we can't deviate from their holy scripture as opposed to, like, mm. read interesting ideas into them and then augment them based on our current understanding. Mm-hmm. But there was a, I think his name was Steve Wasserman or some writer that I was reading about and his interpretation of this very famous thing called the Stoic Fork. So if you don't know the Stoic Fork, the Stoics had this like, this sort of way to deal with anxiety in life and most of their emotions. And then they just said, is this thing in my control or not? And essentially if it's not in your control, so like getting fired from your job, losing money, your friends hating you, uh, your reputation, all this stuff, your health, you know, if it's not in your control, then, you know, uh, it's, it's not your problem. You know, it's, you should sort of consider it nothing to you. Now, the problem with that obviously is like, well, you can say that to yourself, but it doesn't mean anything in the face of actually having cancer or actually losing a loved one or actually getting fired. So Wasserman's thing is like, he sort of looks at the stoic fork and he's like, well, instead you should add a few other things to the things that you can control. And ultimately you cannot control the way that you feel about circumstances and you can't really control what you think either. And so part of the thing with anxiety is that it's a, it's a double-edged thing. It's not just a somatic experience. While that's pretty important. It's a somatic experience that's in constant feedback with this very jittery open-ended feedback loop of thinking. And they're not always cohesive thoughts, right? There's not always thoughts that if you ask me at that moment, what exactly what I'm thinking about, I could tell you, but it, there is thinking going on. And it's like, it's like strategizing. It's like, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to try to solve this question. I got to reach out to this person. I've got to, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like solution, 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 solution. And it's like, you, it, you almost want to tell your brain, I know what the solution is. You don't have to scream it at me 400 times, but that's just what it is. And so, um, so if you sort of approach the stoic fork being like, you know what? You have anxiety, you're fucked, but it's also not in your control. So it's nothing. So the one thing, the only thing that you can control in this context is your actual actions. And I have to say, well, that has not cured my anxiety. And I would not recommend anyone to follow that as a panacea for their issues. It is very healthy to think about. And what it does is it makes me actually feel better because if I think objectively, like like I said, I'm dealing with this shit the past week. If I think objectively about the actions that I have actually taken in light of this event, and I just evaluate my worth and value based on that alone, I would, I feel pretty good. You know what I mean? I don't feel good in my body. I don't feel Mm -hmm. good mentally because that's shitty thing, but I feel good in that, the sense that I, my actions are aligned with my values, you know, which is a classic stoic idea. So while I'm not a hardcore Stoic and I would not recommend anyone to to sort of dive into Epictetus and think they're going to find the cure there, I do have a lot of sympathy with that approach. And there's similar ideas in that to things like ACT therapy, um, mm-hmm. acceptance and commitment therapy, for example. So anyway. Yeah, people always tell me when I share with them deeply about my life, acceptance and commitment therapy would be good for you. <laughs> I've never looked into it. Um it's great. I have I, several act therapy books. They're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have so much to say about what you just said, and I don't know if I'm going to remember it all. Um, so uh, I have had limited success in just dealing with my anxiety conceptually. And um, I have done better. It's worked better for me to give up on 
the thoughts of anxiety. As soon as I identify that anxiety is happening, I tend to go, I will not engage you in thought. I will only engage you somatically. So mm. um, I have this really helpful image that I developed after reading Untethered Soul of all books. And it's a, it's a book about mindfulness. And I've read every other book about mindfulness. And I'm like, well, this is the last one. So I read it. Um, I've never identified with it much. Uh, and what I got out of that book is this visual exercise that I do. And it's like, I see the thoughts and I make a wall out of the thoughts and I just like see them like all around me, but they're a straight line, a wall. And I just mm. step on the other side of the thoughts and the thoughts are there. And then I am here and they are right there. Um, I actively don't energize any thoughts if they are happening around anxiety. Um, the problem that I have with that is I have a hard time responding to pressure. So um, Eckhart Tolle talks about like, you do not I was need... going to say, if you mention if you mention Untethered Soul, you'll probably go over to Eckhart Tolle. There we go, well. yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eckhart Tolle says, you don't need your anxiety. You don't need it. You will respond to the details of your life as you need to. And that's fine. You don't have to have an emotional experience of your life. Um, and I... I take that to task a little bit because when I do the thing where I'm like, I'm not going to engage my anxiety at all. A lot of the time I won't do any planning. I won't respond to the actual pressures that are in my life. And I, it's a little bit too dissociative. Um, it's not quite integrated. Yeah. And I think overall Eckhart Tolle's work is very dissociative. Um, and I've heard um, basically somatic critiques of those from spiritual people, but anyway, um, no, I, I really is... agree. I really agree. I was just going to yeah. say, like, because, you know, I mentioned earlier about my anxiety propelling me to take actions that I probably wouldn't have otherwise taken had I not been feeling those feelings. And to me, when I read people like Tole or Singer or anyone else on the matter where they're just like, or even a lot of, and the thing is, like, we can pick on Tole, but this is also kind of like mainstream Buddhist thinking a lot of the time. It's like your thoughts are an illusion. There are bubbles on a leaf, you know, it doesn't, um, doesn't matter. But the thing is, is that anytime I have sort of tried to vision, envision that mentally, uh, there's a part of me that's like, no, you know what I mean? Like if, if you just, and, and, and I'm really glad that you mentioned diso dissociation because it does feel dissociative because it's like, mm -hmm it's supposed to be comforting because they're, like, they're just thoughts. They can't hurt you. They're, they're not real, but it's like, but all we are kind of as human beings is thoughts. You know what I mean? So this idea that you can completely dismiss like coherent thought is this like illusory non-existent thing that you can ignore and live comfortably in your body with like nothing going on up here. Like, I'm sure maybe you could get to that point with like years and years and years of Zen meditation. But like, um, to me, that's like such a reductionist abstract idea. And and it's also like naive because to me, like even sometimes delineating the difference between a somatic and thought response is not always simple. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. So, so for the exact reason and practical reason you talk about, there's like part of me that's like, if I try to do this, where I just look at my thoughts as thoughts and ignore them, shit is going to happen in my life. That's going to be bad for me. And it's just going to cause more problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's not to say that my thinking about things solves things. But my thinking about things 100% allows me to plan 
and take actions that are beneficial for my life full stop you know yes and that is a very useful aspect of stress i again am going to reiterate that i don't think anxiety is necessary stress very necessary we mm-hmm. respond to stress when we end up in in a feedback loop we're in anxiety and it's not useful um so i guess I just described why I have not dedicated myself to the path of the monk. And I've started mm. to see the path of the monk as like, oh, that's a certain type of person that wants to spend uh, time with a very specific aspect of life that is not being in the shit. Um, and people like you and I, it's not that we don't identify with a spiritual experience or we're less spiritual. It's that we've decided to be in the emotional shit where we're like, yeah. okay, how do we drop ourselves into an actual life, into an actual emotional situation and figure out how to deal with it? And that's way more interesting to me. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll never be a nun. I'll never be a Buddhist monk because it's uh, it's not really my life path to want to go sit on the mountain alone. Um, I don't find that as challenging or interesting. And I understand <laughs> why people do it. Um, but I find it way more interesting to be like, we're doing these relationships and like, there's betrayal and like, there's a lot of stuff going on and like, there's anxiety and like, how do we make money? And like, that's very exciting. Well, Um, the the, the irony of what you're saying is, and and I actually know a few monks, both in the Christian and and Buddhist traditions. And like the, it's always really funny to me because they say all the time, it's like, well, you think people in monasteries aren't fucked up and like feeling anxiety and like feeling all those same interpersonal issues and lack of like, stability that you feel on the outside like Mm. that is not true and so I think people have this naive idea of what spiritual practice means when you're actually in a spiritual community and they think it's Mm. like a panacea like oh it'll be great it's like living in the garden of Eden and like lo and behold like going to a cloistered environment does not actually uh you know you don't leave your humanity at the door you know um and and uh, that comes back to the to what you were speaking to earlier which is like kind of no matter where you go, something's going to end up being home and it's going to end up feeling really real and really um, there's going to be like some limitations there to deal with. Maybe that's why I move so often so that home (laughs) doesn't feel as solid very often. Um, I don't hate a, I never hate a place more than a place that I've lived for five years straight. Um, And yeah, I need to remove that solidity and that realness and that seriousness often yeah. um are you looking say, at your phone oh, sorry go ahead are you worried well, about to, something okay no no no. i just wanted to say okay. very quickly um the other thing i wanted to say about i didn't want to knock spiritual practice and people in cloistered communities because i actually think what happens is this paradoxical thing because i've also spoken to people come out the other side and and they'll say you know what that experience didn't teach me anything at all i didn't mm-hmm. change you know what i mean but it's actually um they they're actually better off so that you know what I mean it's hard to describe but I just had this I had there was this uh I took this Asian East Asian religions class in university and 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 the professor brought in a friend of hers who was this Zen monk and had lived on a Zen monastery for two years and he said he said uh yeah uh nothing happened you know but in part of that that was part of the whole I think that's part of the whole thing is you come to this 360 realization that there is no cloister community. There is no spiritual practice. There is no, there is no refuge, you know, uh, as, uh, Ippin famously said, there's no abode, you know, there's nowhere to go. And, um, I think this is why I'm attracted to religions that espouse this, like, uh, Shin Buddhism, 
And the whole thing about Shin Buddhism, which I've talked about before on my TikTok, is basically like, it's these Buddhists who are like, we're never going to achieve enlightenment while we're here on earth. So you just give up. And the idea is you just say uh, the name of this magical Buddha named Amida Buddha. And if you say his name, you'll, you'll resurrect in the pure land and uh, like when you die and then you can get enlightenment over there. Now that sounds very literal and a lot of Shin's, Shin Buddhists and pure land Buddhists in general take it literally. But the in a spiritual sense, it's kind of like shrugging and saying, I can't, I can't mm -hmm. do it. I can't, it's yeah. impossible. And the whole point is that you rest in that sense of impossibility. And that impossibility itself is like your sucker and comfort, even though it's con like contradictorily not, not a refuge at all, you know? Anyway, sorry, that was long-winded and an aside and you were going to say something interesting, but I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, I don't remember what I was going to say. Sorry. Um, that's okay. Uh, it's no, I think it's no um, accident that we are talking about anxiety today and we've ended up in a very abstract place because <laughs> anxiety is very abstract. Uh, anxiety is itself not grounded. Um, and that's where I've ended up with my uh, interaction with anxiety today is I always try to bring it to the earth. I always try to go lay by a tree I always try to put my feet in the water. I always try to hug somebody, be near people that make me feel safe because ultimately anxiety is just telling me, you are not gonna be okay, you better fix it. And then I go lay by a tree and I go, actually I am okay. And there may be a detail that I need to address but it is not all my responsibility to fix everything. Uh, I don't have that power. And so I try to feel my actual size because anxiety can both make me feel very, very tiny and powerless and very, very big. And all, um, you know, the world is on my shoulders. I'm responsible for everything and nothing is enjoyable until I can get this monkey off my back. And what I learned when I started my business um, was that I was never going to get that monkey on my off my back because there was always going to be another person that needed something from me, another thing that I needed to fix. And I'm like, this is a nightmare. I can never get away from this. Um, and so there's a lot in me that has just come to a certain level of acceptance with a baseline anxiety and learning how to contend with that and have a relationship with it on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't mean that we're friends and it doesn't mean that I view it as a necessary process either, um, but it is still a part of my life. It's something that I interact with and contend with. And the more that I run away from it, the bigger that it gets. And that's the truth about every pain that I've ever experienced. Um, mm -hmm. It always gets bigger the more that I run away from it. And so I do my best not to run from it today. Um, but I do try to share it with the earth, with the people around me. I try to put it into something if I can and not just shoulder it all myself. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, that comes back to what I said about the one feeling of huge relief is like talking to friends of mine who also suffer anxiety. But it's not just that. It's it's like, I think, I think maybe we could help if we lived in a world where we didn't constantly focus on solving anxiety or like 
ways to help your anxiety where we actually just talked about the general shittiness and reality and never ending aspect or recursive aspect of anxiety and that it's okay. I and feel that like you feeling that way is okay. You know, I feel like if we ever co-author a book, our book will be about how like life just, you know, it just generally sucks. We have to accept it. Like there are so many things that we've talked about that like orbit that <laughs> <laughs> including our lost health episode who knows if we will ever release it i have the audio but oh, um man. just about like man just you know you can eat donuts i'm in my 40s i'm okay you know you're probably gonna be okay it's okay like you don't have to be a personal trainer um i mean there, there is something to that right in the sense that you can the you know, I, again, I agree. Anxiety is not normal. It's a pathology, 100% agreement. But that pathologizing, you know, leads to this like sense of like, well, I got to fix it. And so you're just thinking of your your life is like inputs. And if you put in the wrong inputs, you get bad outputs. So it's like, got to stop reading the news, got to cut down on my phone usage, got to go on runs, got to walk, got to eat right, got to sleep better. And then it's just like, and then your anxiety ramps up because, mm -hmm. and it's really interesting is like, what I find really funny about the model of anxiety, especially in CBT circles is so weird and alien to my own experience because the classic uh, cognitive behavioral therapy approach to anxiety is your thoughts are making you anxious. So you're thinking things like, I'm going to get fired. It's always the same thing. So I get the same cliches. Whereas my thoughts are like, uh, you got to call this guy. You got to talk to this person. You got to make sure you buy groceries. You got to, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like, it's like that it's not it's not cat catastrophizing it's like it's the things it's inputs it's like get the right inputs and then and then life will be okay there's another thing that you mentioned too that i wanted to touch on which was interesting because i think it's something i i think about often is that sometimes i wonder if like really anxious people are expressing a kind of narcissism in this in mm. the sense that and i'm, I'm pointing the gun here at myself you know in, in a long, long way because because as you say, you want to feel small, right? You don't want to feel bigger than your britches. And and anxiety does that because it makes your problems feel like they are catastrophic global problems, you know? And even when I discuss my current work situation, objectively, and again, this is a very stoic take, but if you look at it objectively, it's not a big deal, you know? It's not the end of the world, so as they say. But like in my mind, this is like, it's like, universes have to punish me like right as i'm trying to get my mm -hmm. shit together i'm being thrown these obstacles like and so there is some there is a very sort of egoic shadow ego aspect to feeling feeling anxious this is not victim blaming it's just i think there's an interesting component of that you know if you can shrink yourself and feel humble in your space then you realize that your problems are not these enormous insurmountable mountains well, that's why community is so helpful to anxiety mm. because it decenters the self and it yeah. reminds you. I think one of the number one reasons that I still go to Narcotics Anonymous meetings is so that I can hear other people having bigger problems than me. I share mm. that all the time <laughs> and I don't know if it bothers people, but I'm just like, yeah, I need to hear that other people are having some problems and like that they don't deal with life very well either. That makes me feel really good. Um, because mm -hmm. when I go out there, I feel like everybody's doing better than me. Everybody's got a nicer car than me. Everybody's like making it happen. And I just don't get it. And I've felt like that my entire life. Um, the thing about the bigness or smallness, that happens with pain too. There is a line in a book. I can't remember what book it was, but it was like, when we have fit, hit our thumb with a hammer, it feels like our thumb is the only thing in the world right then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, anxiety does that. 
But yeah. like I said earlier, it drives me crazy because with pain, you can go, I'm focusing on the thumb, I'm focusing on the thumb. And to some degree, it will lessen. With anxiety, the more that you focus on it, the more that it, it grows. And yeah. you can't not focus on it. You can't dissociate from it. So it's like, how do I have a relationship with this thing? It is, it has so many analogs to pain. And I wonder if it would be helpful for us to look at it like pain. Um, it's really also, interesting you say that. Really interesting. Go, and I'll tell ahead. you okay, why in a it. second. Okay, so say it. Uh, so I, earlier I was thinking about, all right, taking medication for anxiety. And often I have to say, and this is a real physical experience for me. It is very much like when you have a terrible migraine and you take a couple of Advil and it doesn't get rid of the migraine, but it's like kind of puts cotton around it, you know, like it, and that's, that's exactly what Lexapro does for my anxiety. Whereas like the anxiety doesn't go away and it gets worse sometimes and less than others. But the anxiety that I felt before taking it, and I was doing all the same things. There wasn't any, any other major lifestyle changes, but the difference was that like the, the anxiety I felt before was like so acute and so oppressive and so intolerable it was like the same feeling of being in severe pain and so I think the pain analogy is actually a very good one and I also say this and this is uh, maybe a bit heavy to admit um, I'm not someone who suffers depression but I am someone who ideates quite a bit when I'm feeling severe anxiety and part of that to me is the analogous to the person who's in such severe pain that they want to like get out of it any way that they can. And I think that's something that I've struggled with when I talk about my anxiety, because no one talks about the idea of self-harm in relation to anxiety. It's all about depression. Mm -hmm. And that's like a big deal. But like, there is actually, I've read studies and there is literature that like um, the threat and acute threat of self-harm in a situation of anxiety can sometimes be worse in anxiety than it is in depression. Um, And we don't talk about that at all. I wonder why we don't talk about that. Maybe it's because someone who is suffering from anxiety is up and out of their bed and walking around and maybe kind of functioning. Yeah, I think that's only, a big part of it. Yeah, we only notice people who can't get out of bed and who are clearly in a freeze state. Um, very fascinating. And I have to say, yeah. like, my general anxiety level plays in very much to my general will to live. So I don't have like acute instances of ideation. What I have is just like a general unwillingness to want to live. I've never met anybody that quite understood this, but I share it just in case I find somebody. Um, It's just like, I don't really want to carry it anymore. It's a lot to carry every day. And I don't think that, um, death is bad and so I don't have any reason to want to continue this um and I I guess it kind of goes into my um you know spiritual beliefs of like yeah I think it's generally nicer wherever we go that is not here but also in some ways I believe that it's just another place like they're just like you just drop into I like I literally think in my mind that you just drop into another desk and you're like, damn it, it's another class. So mm, yeah, I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. it's the class here. It's a class there anyway. Um, but the the feeling of anxiety, that that weight um, plays in very much to my general like, yeah, I mean, I'm not actively trying to do anything, but like I probably have less regard for my safety than than most people um, yeah. because I just don't care that much. Um, yeah. 
the but I wanted to speak to um the narcissism piece that you were talking about so like the um so narcissism and codependency kind of go together when we look at them in relationships you have like um a person who is being bigger than life and a person who's being smaller than life and they play off of each other and they tend to stick together and work together. Um, they are suffering from the same condition. It's just they, they're doing different things. Someone is being too small and someone is being too big and taking up all mm. the space and neither mm. of them are uh, good, good ways to relate. Um, and you kind of see that interplay in a lot of different um, areas of life um, not just when we're talking about like mental health or relationships, but like if there is too much bigness or too much smallness, there's a lack of balance. And um, there is, we have a, a hard time understanding our true place in the world and we over center ourselves and we under center other people. And part of that is helpful um, because we're kind of here to work out our own um bs and sort of like work through our issues so we're very focused on what's going on with ourselves and a lot of that is um healthy and is the kind of the way that it's supposed to be like when we talk mm -hmm. about effective relating we talk about like filling up your cup first and then helping other people like it would be out of order to try to do it the other way around um but you're you you're hitting on the fundamental like pathology of this which is like it's too big or it's too small and I'm too focused on this and not focused on that like there is lack of balance here like I need to restore balance and that's mm -hmm. coming back to grounding for me like it's coming back to community I feel like if I can just get around someone who's not anxious and get a little bit of it on me it's healing for <laughs> me I don't know if you feel that way no see it's funny with me I want to be around someone else who's anxious and then we can trade Interesting. notes and then I feel good because then we can commiserate and say, because again, it feels like a secret thing. Like, I know that we live in this supposed culture of like, you know, Bell, let's talk, you know, let's be open about our, our mental issues, our mental health issues. And maybe this is a male, female thing, whatever. But like, I just find, again, there's just this culture of problem solving with relation to feelings of anxiety. And uh, there's not enough... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like the, the idea we need to project strength or I, I don't know, but like, there's just not enough, like there's not enough frank discussion and sharing of like, this is just shitty. This sucks. And it's, it, there's no way to get out of it. Kind of, you're kind of fucked, you know? And it's just like, this is it kind of thing. Um, and I just find it's just much easier for me to just talk through my shit with someone who's not going to like, be like, oh, did you try going for a run or did you try mm -hmm. Wellbutrin with your, you know, Lexapro or whatever? Just just like willing to be like, this, this is, I've done this. And then we can like, I can discuss like analogies. Like an, you were talking about being, feeling big and small. What's really interesting is like, I think the ideation for me comes from the, it feels claustrophobic because the, mm -hmm. the anxiety, anxiety, I feel shrinks my world so much. Mm -hmm and sucks everything in and it's like i'm in this tiny little box and i would like literally do anything to get out of this fucking box you know what i mean and like that's what it is um uh and sometimes i guess if i can talk with someone who is not gonna like who's gonna be on my wavelength of like that just that general feeling of like we're probably never gonna beat this you know like yeah. 
<laughs> it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good because it just is a bit like it's a bit like when you get a coworker at a job where everyone's projecting this corporate persona. And you get a coworker that you can have a one-on-one meeting with. Yes, like, they're is, like, this, this company is, sucks. This yes. is fucking dumb. Or this, this guy's <laughs> full of shit, you know? Like, yes. And to me, it's like, I feel like I need I need less really nice ladies and nutritionists on TikTok being like, feeling anxious? Well, you or you should read The Body Keeps the Score. And like, we've done it all, man. You know, it's like, it feels like George Costanza trying to deal with his baldness. It's like, he's tried everything. It's like, there's nothing else he hasn't tried. Like, it, it just, you- it's... Yeah. You shared two opposite like sentiments there that I just <laughs> want to point out and I just want to like get your perspective on them which is you're speaking to this like it feels like it's closing in on me and I just want to get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you speak to like what I actually like to do with anxiety is to like believe that I cannot get out of it, that there is no fixing it. So like how mm-hmm. do you square those two things because it sounds like opposites. Well, so that's an interesting point because I think part of, I so I think this is getting really into the weeds. I think part of the thing about anxiety is like what makes it bad is the desire to not be anxious. Mm-hmm. But you might think, oh, well, the solution then is to accept your anxiety and to, um, but it, you're, you, it doesn't work that way. That's like telling someone who, like you said, has smashed their thumb open to just like ignore the pain, which I'm sure you can do in a, I'm sure there's a sensible approach to doing that, but you're still going to feel the pain in your thumb. And mm-hmm. so it's this, it's this paradox. It's, it's really strange. You're absolutely right. It's totally paradoxical. Um, and part of what makes the anxiety bad is the, the desire to not want to be anxious and that it just will not go away. And, 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 that's also Maybe. bad, but then the idea that I'll accept it and we'll stop feeling so bad that's peddled by all these other people. It, it, you cannot make your brain think that way. Maybe it's that you feel that way about your anxiety. You feel so closed in by it and you personally, personally would like to escape it in that moment. And it's really helpful for you, for someone else to walk into your box, to open up the door and be in there in the box with you and say, hey, we're okay in here. Like we don't, or- we don't need to get out of this. Or just say, I'm in the same box, buddy. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like I just I just watched The Great Escape and there's, they put these two prisoners in these like isolation prison rooms and they're still, you know, it's like that voice that you can't identify. It's like, that's that's what it is. You know, that's what prevents you from going crazy, you know, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's what, yeah, that's what friendship feels like to me. Like, I don't know. That's why I want to get near somebody else and share what my problem is because they can even if they're not anxious themselves they can just go like wow that sounds like a big problem and I'm so sorry you're going through that and in the in a way that's my way of getting of getting them into the box with me and like yeah I don't know about you whenever I'm going through a problem if I could have somebody else to go through the problem with like where it's also their problem I don't feel that bad about it um even if it's just one other person um 100%. I I feel like super prepared to deal with that problem because it's like, hey, it's you and me. We're going to figure it out. Like you've got some skills. I've got some skills. I've got your back. I'll be awake when you're not awake to deal with the emails or whatever it is. Um, And that's what community feels like to me. More, But it's more than two people. Yeah, exactly. And what I was going to say is it's interesting you say that because like, and again, coming back, this is like David Smale's whole thing about psychology is like, what matters isn't like whether or not there are Freudian, Jungian, CBT talk there, doesn't matter. What matters is that you are sitting across from the person and talking to them 
um, and you're having that connection. And that's actually what really matters is like the, that a good therapist will not uh, be prescriptive, that they will figure out a way to get into that little box with you, but also like figure out its contours, figure out how it works, talk about like what the feeling of it is like, and not be like, well, if you follow X, Y, Z, we'll get you out of here. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I think what he says, he's a little, I mean, he's definitely defeatist about it, but I'm very sympathetic to his defeatism. He's like, he's kind of like, that's the only, like, uh, that's the real only consolation of psychotherapy is, is the prospect that you can, that someone will get into that state with you and you can have the one-on-one personal relationship talking through it. But like the actual method of the therapy itself is probably less, less clinically impactful than you think, you know? Yeah. Therapy classically does not work well for me. And I tend to give up on therapists all the time. And I think the reason is like, I'm like, this is a transactional relationship. I am paying you to be here. I do not feel like you are in the shit with me. And so it's always had to be friends or people that are going through similar things. Um, Like, yeah, we're really in this together, aren't we? And the only reason we're here is because we're both dealing with this issue. It's not because anybody's getting paid to be here. So yeah, that's true. um, Yeah. Therapy has not worked very well for me, but we all respond to different things, but I would just bring it back to, I don't think anyone's anxiety is solved or assuaged by dealing with it on their own. The people who do benefit from that stuff are people who have not had basic talk therapy, um, basic emotional regulation skills. What we're talking about is, um, the day-to-day chronic anxiety that is handed to us by the structural situation that we live in, which is we have no control over our survival circumstances. Other people are making decisions about our well-being in other provinces and other states in other countries, and um, they do not care about us. They're not yeah. in our tribe. We have very limited control over this. And so you view it from that lens, that perspective, and you would go, of course, this living being would feel that way. Why would they not? To not feel that way would be um, the brain working incorrectly. Yeah, 100%. Um, So are we going to get someone high so that they can deal with that? That's the way that I look at it. And I don't accept that we have to live in this. Um, And I won't accept the solutions that have been given to me. I haven't figured it out yet, but we were just talking about a whole bunch of stuff that makes it feel better. Yeah. Well, maybe it's worth it to end on a TikTok that I saw of uh, Zizek, uh, Slavo Zizek uh, tearing tearing, uh, Jordan Peterson a new one, but he said something where I thought was really insightful about um you know he's talking about because jordan peterson's like well you start with the individual and then worry about society later and and Zizek sort of counters is like why didn't you do both right and that's why i think we need to talk about this is that um that i think we've we've done too much work talking about the individual stuff right we know about this there's a billion different therapies out there there's a billion different platitudes about how to deal with anxiety we know what those are but i think we have not done enough and again, I and I, I'm willing to, and we've we've talked about this before. It's it's too pat to just tell someone, oh, just find some friends, because that's very difficult. And that's like finding a community in our atomized world that's deliberately set up to against finding friends. Like there's no third spaces anymore. There's no, we've completely eroded, uh, you know, normal community practices that used to bring us together in in healthy ways. Those don't exist anymore. Um, 
but you know <laughs> without bless you without that aspect um all those individual things that just won't won't matter because you're still going to wake up at 4 a.m in the dark and if you can't tell someone that you trust and that you love and will understand you what it's like to wake up at 4 a.m in the morning and feel like guided on star trek where you know everything is incorrect and it's not supposed to be this way then you're never going to really felt valued you know I'm getting this vision in my head of like the dust bowl and of just like soil that is not fertile that you're trying to grow corn in and it just won't grow exactly. on its own. Yeah. And what you're describing is, oh, we can just grow this corn in a monoculture. It'll be fine. It'll be alone. We'll give it more inputs, right? That's what they are telling us to do on an individual level. And instead, I see uh, like a luscious field where the soil has been built and there is mycorrhizal fungi in the soil and there are webs of weeds on the, you know, on the inside. And that is a place where something can grow because there is a web, there is a support system there. Pollinating insects, you know? Yeah. You're asked, that's yes. a brilliant analogy. I have to say like, because, you know, it's like trying to shout at a plant, grow, you know what I mean? Like you can't, yes. you know what I mean? Like you can't do stressed. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think dealing and facing and, and coping with anxiety is very much analogous to uh, nurturing a plant because it's not, even if you get all the inputs right, it's not enough, you know, like um, it needs to be in an environment that's conducive to its growth. And so I, again, I think this like whole service based, you know, um, uh, follow these steps, input-based approach, not just to anxiety, but to all mental health um, is is no good. And it's not good enough, as we know. And this is a much bigger conversation than than this podcast can face is like, it's not good enough just to tell someone, find community. We need to figure out a way where like people can connect in a way that is going to be meaningful to them because, you know, there's just so many people who aren't able to do that. And that's horrible you know well I I think that we are so overwhelmed with how to nourish that soil because we literally have nothing to go on um but every little thing that we do to nourish community to nourish connections interconnections between people is helpful I think ultimately the anxiety is a harbinger of something wrong it's like Mm -hmm. your corn is getting a disease like it, it wouldn't get that disease if it had a good network, but that, that disease cannot be solved now on the individual level. Um, but I think it's good to like have the attitude that things can get changed on the, the micro level, not on the individual level, but on the very, very granular local level, making connections between people, getting to know your neighbors, that kind of thing, having a different attitude about your isolation. Um, that's how my community has been built. It didn't have to be a top-down thing. We didn't need to go to electoral politics to solve it. Um, yeah. We could do it in a grassroots way. Um, yeah. I'm also reading the book Emergent Strategy, which is like probably influencing a lot of uh, what I'm talking about here. But anyway, that's neither here nor, nor there about anxiety. Um, I uh, am so honored to like be able to talk to you about anxiety in your life in a time that you're really going through it and that you've been willing to share a lot. Um, so thank you. And yeah, I mean, the timing for this was perfect. I have to say. (laughs)
Yeah, that's what I do is I just go on your TikTok. I'm like, what is he thinking about this week? What does he want to talk about? Um, maybe one day we'll talk about something I want to talk about. And we'll see if you have any thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah let's do, do that. that. Yeah. yeah. Very good, sir. Um, right. If you want to support this podcast, we have a Patreon that you can click through to in the show notes. If we get enough Patreon subscribers neither of us will have to have job anxiety at all. So if you want to help <laughs> us solve our lives, um, we would love to have your support. And of course we live in a capitalist hellscape and we know that people struggle and we don't require you to support us, but we would love it. And um, yes, that is all. Uh, thanks, Brian. That was great. Yeah. Um, have a good day. You I too. Will see you soon. <laughs>